Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 12 here in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, we're really grateful you're with us. My name's Mark. I have the privilege of being uh, one of the ministers here. And uh, last week, we, were, we began in Luke chapter 14. There, Jesus was invited to a meal. Now, the concept of a meal is predominant in Luke and Matthew's writing. But what Luke does with it is always forecasting that the meal is some, it's about something in the future as well as in the present. And last week, Jesus was invited to a Sabbath meal by a Pharisee. A Pharisee is a religious leader uh, who was very legalistic uh, in this period uh, of their history. They were very legalistic. And the Sabbath meal Jesus was invited to would have been the moment that they could have exposed him as not keeping all the ritualistic laws that they had built. And so they invited him to this meal, not because they loved him and not because they wanted to give him a fine uh, celebration. They invited him to trap him. And Jesus was wise and he knew what they were doing. And there was a man there that was planted by the host uh, who needed healed by Jesus. And Jesus healed him in spite of what they expected him or wanted him to do. He healed him. And then he said, would you not, if your child or your animal fell in a well, would you not save a drowning uh, something you loved, would you not save it? And of course, they couldn't answer because the answer was, yes, we would. And all he had did, done is just save someone who was drowning within his own body. And what we learned last week, if you were with us, is that every one of us is looking for our place. It's a natural thing to be human, to want to know where we fit in and who we fit in with and whether we're accepted. And so every one of us is looking for our place. And the place that Jesus offers us, none of us can earn and none of us are worthy. The seat around his table, as he invites us to, to eat with him and to celebrate, that none of us are worthy of sitting there. The only way we're allowed to be there is he is generous and asks us to sit down. And that's what we learned last week. And the reason I tell you that is because a bunch of you weren't here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the reason I tell you that is because you have to understand that to know where we're going today. Because it's really a part two phenomena here. It's the same dinner the same setting, the same teacher, and a different lesson building off the last. So every one of us wants a place, and yet the place Jesus offers us, none of us have earned or worthy of. Let's begin with verse 12. We'll get a running start through a section of last week into this week. So Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at that dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. Well, I'm going to make two points this morning, two very simple points, and then walk us to the conclusion of what we're supposed to do as we see ourselves in this story. The first thing I want to draw to your attention is everyone wants to be invited to the kingdom feast. So Jesus is telling this parable about there's a place for everybody, but the place I'm going to provide for you, you're, no, you're not superior to anybody else, nor inferior. Everyone who sits around the Lord's table will sit around the Lord's table because he has welcomed us and he is generous. 
And someone hearing that moment where Jesus says, and when I came to your meal, I noticed everyone's jockeying for position to show their place. And he said, don't do that. Invite people who can't repay you and actually bless them as one of the righteous. And when he said that, a guy got all happy in the audience. He goes like, blessed is the person who gets to eat at that feast. And Jesus is like, you have no clue. He said, let me tell you a story. A man throws a big feast and he invites a bunch of people and they say they're coming. And then he sends out his servants to knock on their door and say, dinner is ready, please come. See, everybody wants to be invited to the feast. But let me give you some background or tell you some background that might be uh, prevalent in our understanding. The Jews would have understood this feast motif, this banquet. They would have gotten that. Why? Because Isaiah 25, 6. In Jerusalem, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. They knew this was coming. They knew what the feast imagery was all about. They understood it, and they were excited about it. And so they're thinking, yes, we will be invited. And that's why that guy got all happy and yelled out what he did. But the background is important for us to understand. You see, in Jesus' day, when... People were invited to a banquet or to a celebration meal of this sort. They would RSVP. Now, I know for our culture, I have to explain what that means. Because if you've ever thrown an event recently, nobody RSVPs, and yet everybody still shows up because it's like, hey, I got nothing else, I'll go. Well, that's not cool, okay? That's a sermon for another day on etiquette. But th- that was free. Okay, this sermon, however, is they would RSVP. And the reason they did was because it put... it. It put an obligation on the host. If you said you were coming and 45 people said they were coming, then he had to prepare food for 45 people. He couldn't call the caterer. They didn't have refrigeration. So they would have to prepare the meal that day. Also, another contributing factor to our understanding is that this was not, people weren't coming from from Kansas City and Springfield to this banquet. It was a communal thing. It stayed in their local little tribe, their little village, their little community. So that's why when the meal was about cooked for the 45 people, the, the host would come out and say, we're about 35 minutes away from dinner being served, please. And then their, his servants would go out to the neighborhood houses and knock on the door and say, uh, the banquet will begin in 35 minutes. Please arrive sharply on time and ready to go. And it was a happy moment. Everyone's like, yay, we're going to eat. And that's always a good day. And he said, so the servants went out and they said, come for the meal is ready. The time is ready. Verse 17. <clears throat> But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave went back and reported this to his master. See, the first point is everybody wants to be invited to the celebration. The second point is not everyone wants to make the kingdom feast the true priority. Everybody wants or thinks they want to go, but not everybody makes it a priority to be ready on the date. So if he'd said September 19th or October 19th, we're going to have this celebration, are you coming? And you're like, yes, three of us will be there and we can't wait. We're like, fantastic. Well, someone will come by and tell you when the meal is that day and you understand the context and then they show up and they're like, nah, I'm tied up. You see, there's nothing wrong with being married and there's nothing wrong with buying property and there's nothing wrong with getting equipment to to do your jobs. There's nothing wrong with any of that, except if it keeps you from a greater priority. You see, all of those were good things, but when good things replace your need for more important things, good things become bad things. When good things keep us from greater things, good things become bad things. 
And Jesus is pointing out that everybody wants to come to the party, but not everybody wants to prepare for the party. Uh, I was preaching uh, when I was uh, just starting in youth ministry. I was probably 22 or 23 years of age, and I was preaching one time, and the senior guy was gone, and <clears throat> I had this sermon about, we ought to be doing this, and we ought to be doing this, and we ought to be doing this. And I was looking out, and crowd, where they were, at least weren't asleep, and that's always a plus. And I looked out, and a couple of them were shaking their heads, yes, and a couple of people were giving me the holy harumph, you know, hey, man, that's right. And I was like, yes. I came off stage not feeling good about me, but feeling like we could actually do something, and Charles Gwaltney, 6'4", 6'5", big contractor, southern guy, always wore one of those bolo ties, like look like Colonel Sanders. He goes, walk up and puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, doesn't cost us a dollar to shake our head yes. And walked away. I was like, well, thank you, brother. <laughs> but he was right. He'd been at that church long enough to realize they were all good people. But lots of good ideas. People shake their head and go, we ought to do that. You want to help me? Mm, nah, I don't know. You see, it doesn't cost you a dollar to shake your head yes. It costs you a whole lot to be committed. And when this man cried out and said, blessed is he who eats the great feast, Jesus goes, yeah, you have no clue. Because right now you want to eat at the great feast, but you don't want to prepare yourself for it. And he was standing there going, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst and you're not seeing it. Your priorities are somewhere else, working on something else, doing something else. You see, Jesus is unashamed. Now listen to me carefully. Jesus is unashamed to say to us that when we understand who he truly is, everything else in life will become secondary. I want to say that again. When we understand who Jesus truly is, everything else in life will become secondary. And if anything is not secondary to Jesus, it is primary to Jesus, and it will fail you and leave you empty. And we can cry out, blessed is he who is saved by Jesus, but are you saved truly, committed to the one who gave you the greatest gift ever? Then Jesus gives us the reaction here. Verse 21. Then the head of the household became angry, and he said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that, they may, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Yikes. We don't like angry God, do we? We don't want angry God. We want a big, fuzzy, warm God who's like hugging on us and kissing us on our foreheads and saying, now you knuckleheads, you can do better. But sometimes Jesus is trying to point out to us, no, no, no. And God is angry when he's rejected. Now, now listen to me carefully. He's not angry because his ego got touched. He's not angry because his feelings got hurt. Before we attribute to God like this loss of character because he becomes angry, understand that there's a righteous indignation and you know what it is because every single one of us, I've asked this rhetorical question both hours previous to you and I've got no response, so I'm going to approach it differently. You have experienced, haven't you, a moment that you became angry at someone you loved because what they were doing to themselves was harming them and then ultimately harming you? And we've all experienced that, Right? You think, I don't, I don't like that feeling. God doesn't either. God created us because he loved us. God created us because he wanted, to, he wanted to love on us and love with us and have us love him. He wanted this community he had in the garden until sin devastated it. And he gets angry when we hurt ourselves. He gets angry when we reject his wisdom for fake wisdom and then we end up drinking poison and wonder why we die. See, God's anger is good. 
It shows he loves us. So when Jesus casts this picture in his story about a host who becomes angry, it's because that host realizes that they're trading the lesser things and accepting those and not taking the greater things. To the point that there will be a moment when rejecting God is the last thing we do. And he becomes angry. But there's also another twist in here because Jesus is just a phenomenal storyteller and he knows what he's doing. There's a part where those who said yes end up saying no and those who said no end up saying yes. And he does something even more brilliant. He says, hey, go out and invite those that were uninvited. Go out and invite those who couldn't RSVP. Knock on their doors. And the servants went out and knocked on the door and said, hey, my master is holding a great feast, the finest of wines, the, the best cheeses, the best meats. And, and please, come, you're invited. Well, I didn't RSVP. Come, you can come. You're welcome. He would love to have you. And they show up. And then he says, well, go get some more. And he said, we've got everybody in town. And then Jesus in his story does something really fascinating. He says, well, go out in the highways and the byways. In other words, listen to me. Go outside our city. Go outside this little intimate circle of people that were invited and start inviting others. And the Jewish audience on a Sabbath meal would have known exactly what Jesus did. They would have gone, Gentiles? Yeah, go get anybody. Go get the lame and the broken. Go get those who say, now remember I told you, some said yes and ended up saying no, and some said no, and I think some even said no a second time. Because he says, go out and compel them. And you think, well, what do you get their arm behind their back and make them come in? You're going to eat this and like it. No, actually, remember what he said last week in the beginning of the parable. He said that you invite people that can repay you. Possibly one of the reasons people didn't RSVP the first time was because they thought, I can't repay you. I can't, I can't match what you're giving me. I can't invite you to my house. I don't have a house. I can't feed you food. I'm poor or I'm blind, or I'm crippled, or the world has rejected me. I've got nothing I can offer you. You see, Jesus is giving us a picture of the gospel here, that he came to invite all people to his banquet, but the elite thought we've earned it, and he's like, you've earned nothing. And so they walk away because their priorities became greater than him. So he said, go invite those who can't repay me. I've been joking all morning with this, but it kind of cracks me up. I, I will confess right now, I think Females are better versions of humanity than men. I just, having been one for 53 years, my research has indicated I'm right. <laughs> Women do things better, but you do a funny thing that cracks me up. If a, if a friend of mine calls and goes, hey, come over, watch the Bears? Yeah, I'd love to. Wings and chips on me. Deal. And you know what? I'm going to show up at his house, and I'm not going to bring a thing. <laughs> and he's not going to judge me, because that's what he invited me to. Ladies, let's talk about you. <laughs> Invite you to the house. We're going to have this big meal. And you're like, what can I bring? Nothing. Just come. No, no, I got to bring something. No, no. Please, you don't. I live with one of these. No, you don't. No, no, we need to. So what are we going to have? Well, tell me what you're going to have. And then I'm going to compliment it. And I'm going to bring something in. And then I'm going to come in. And I'm going to put it on the table. And we're all going to have something on the table. And then I'm going to be comfortable with myself because I didn't just receive. <laughs> just show up and eat. Got fellas, can I have an amen? It's a better life. Yes. And I know you women are like, yeah, because we do all the cooking. Don't, don't get details. Don't get in the way. <laughs> what happens is the king says, come. And they're like, we can't bring anything. And he said, I know. Well, let me bring something. No, no, everything I got is better than yours. Well, let me bring some meat. Have you tasted what the king makes? Well, I'll bring some wine. Now, your wine doesn't match the wine I'm going to have. I'm good. And what happens is, when we talk about a banquet like this, there's nobody in the room going, no, I'm disinterested, not really. I'll just sit home and eat my bologna. 
Oh, really? You're going to pass? No, no one says that. No one goes, oh, really? Prime rib and filet and all of this and cherry pie that's real and not pie filling pie and, and the best of wines and cheeses and all the desserts and fantastic. No, I'll, just, I'll take my white bread that's got everything cooked out of it and bologna and hard cheese. I'm good. Now, you know I'm pl- being ridiculous because you wouldn't do that until making the availability to the banquet the priority and then all of a sudden we get busy and we get tied up and we get distracted. You can see what Jesus just did. He not only told a great story, he sucked us into it. They were trading the most valuable and that's Jesus' point is that God becomes angry because we throw away the riches of what he's offering us for garbage, for baloney. And don't write me a letter and tell me how wonderful baloney is. It isn't. It's the perfect example. It's what you eat when mom's at work. See, each of us finds ourselves in the parable. But don't lose out the fact that God values the banquet, not just as a nice thing he does, but it is a blessing to us. Luke 14, 24, Jesus said in his story, has the master saying, for I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Why? Because they traded God's best things for lesser things. And then Paul would take this whole imagery in 2 Corinthians 5 and Paul would say, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen, you're one of two people in the story. You're either the person, well, I guess there's three possibilities. You're either the person who never felt invited so you never RSVP'd. Or you're the person who said, I want to go and then you didn't pay the price to be ready. Or, You said you would come, and you arrive, and Jesus says to you, now I want you to go invite people. Go knock on doors and get them to come. Give them a reason to show up. Tell them about the banquet. Tell them about the best wines and the best cheeses and the best uh, dinner and the best desserts and all of this. Tell them what I'm offering them. Let them know the value of this, and tell them they don't have to bring a thing. So you're one of three people in the story, and you get to decide who that is. If you're one who's RSVP'd, then Jesus said, go out and get some other people, invite them, knock on their doors, tell them about what I'm offering them. And if you're someone who was once said yes and now you're thinking, I've just become distracted and I don't have time to put into it and I don't know how ready I am, repent. Repent of your behavior and remember, spend some time reflecting on the goodness of what you're being offered. And then if you've never felt worthy to come, you're the perfect person, that's who he wants. He wants the person who says, I got nothing to bring except I need to show up and enjoy. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. God's anger will only be on those who hurt themselves by rejecting him. And the rejection of him is the rejection of Jesus. And he's not angry. He just knows that you're drinking poison then wondering why you're dying. See, the kingdom of God is a celebratory feast that we humbly accept and yet it brings us joy. So what's it going to take for us to get our minds focused on the greater things and put the other things as secondary? And I know this is threatening to Americans especially. But let me give you good news about the gospel. This is the beauty of God's kingdom. He doesn't punish us when we come into his kingdom. Yes, he says take up your cross and die, but we find life through that. But what he actually does is all those things that you have to take from primary to secondary, he can actually use those when they're secondary to keep him primary. I know that was convoluted. Let me try again. Your money becomes primary and puts Jesus as secondary. Your money becomes your God. 
But when you lift Jesus up to where he needs to be, your money can actually be a vehicle by which others can be invited to know who Jesus is primary. Your job, your education, your relationships, your feelings, your desires, all of those can be made secondary to Jesus. And by doing that, they become useful to bring him glory, which brings you life. When we die, we live. It's, it's odd, but it works. When everything becomes secondary to Jesus, you find life. So what do we have to be able to do to do that? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that this kingdom requires patience. It is now and not yet, both. But I, I was looking for some deep, deep illustration, and then I came across something that shows you my depth. When does your family eat Thanksgiving dinner? And don't tell me Thanksgiving. I got that. What time during the day? I remember one time when I was in college, I was invited to a family's house for Thanksgiving, and they had Thanksgiving dinner about 4 o'clock, and I thought, they don't love me or God. <laughs> what are you doing all day that we're not eating until 4 o'clock? And then, and I don't know about you, but I, I pregame for Thanksgiving. I mean, I starve myself going into this. I am going to make it work, and you're now telling me I got to get up at 7 in the morning and wait till 4 o'clock to have anything to eat? What's wrong with you people? Because all day long, right? What are you thinking about? I smell the bird. I smell the sweet potatoes. I know there's pie out in the garage, cold pumpkin pie ready for me to eat. Get excited about this. Then I went first time to Heather's family and they had it at 11 a.m. And I thought, this is a holy house. Because <laughs> breakfast was like, forget that nonsense. I'm not going to waste time eating breakfast when I can go and, and eat all of that. That was amazing. And then I remember being a kid. Do you remember like when it was your birthday and you were going to have a birthday party and all day long? What do kids do when they're anticipating a birthday party that they know is going to happen that night, but it's not night yet? They whine and they can't sit still. It takes patience to wait on Jesus to bring the full kingdom to us. But I also remember my sweet grandma, who and I realize what she's doing now, but as a kid, I just thought it was my luck. I remember one time she came to me and she had it on a little tiny paper plate and she was hiding it from my mother and she's like, here, these wouldn't fit on the platter and there were two deviled eggs. And I was like, I'll help you, woman. And they were done. He used to go by and uh, take sweet pickles off the relish tray and hide them behind our back. And I, I, we used to think, the boys, we had always thought we were so creative until we saw my old man. And my dad was the leader. He couldn't walk by the turkey tray without grabbing a piece and eating on it on the way out. My mom's like, Dale, get the boys out of here. And he's the one doing all the damage. But I remember that anticipation. And here's what I want you to know. That little sweet pickle or that deviled egg or that piece of turkey or piece of ham you stole at the family feast because it hasn't been put on the table yet, but you can't hardly wait. Church, that's what we're experiencing right now. If you let Jesus be your primary, he's going to start giving you taste of the future that's coming. It's what Peyton said earlier. He's going to wipe every tear and... and, uh, dry every eye and he's going to take away all the hate and replace it with real love and he's going to take away all the hurt and all the damage and all the ache and he's going to restore it with peace and prosperity for all and we're going to live in this kingdom where we don't have church services all the time but we're serving one another and we're, we're doing what he created us to do and we're tasting that now if you'll stop tasting all the nonsense before. Put down the baloney and wait for the real stuff. It'll take patience to keep your eyes on where we're going together. Second of all, it takes humility. In Jesus' story, come for everything is ready and you can't bring anything with you. You have to empty yourself, you have to take up your cross, and you have to die. 
And that's why it struggles, especially fellas. Let me talk to you. I picked on the girls for fun. But fellas, our pride is in the way way too much. We want to say to God, well, I'm going to pay you back. You can't. Nothing you bring to the table is worth anything that he's got on his. And you just have to go and simply say, I need you. Jesus, I need your blood. I need your sacrifice. I needed it for me. I needed you to save me from myself. I need you to save me from my past. I can't bring you anything. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. That simply means when we receive the gift from the great giver, the greatest thing you can do is respond by faith to offering it to other people that you know and love. People that don't know they're invited to the banquet or people who feel they're unworthy to come to the feast or people who say, I don't deserve to sit at that table. They're right. But say, if he lets me in, you're in. Because it's not about our accomplishments. It's about our humility. Will we receive grace by faith? So you need to be patient. You need to humble yourself. And we need to be selfless. Which means we will not eat until others have been invited. And then, oh, will we dine. The choicest of meats, the choicest of wines, the finest of desserts, ice cream, without the headache. Praise Jesus. It's all coming. You can taste it now. The beauty of his kingdom, the beauty of his provisions. See, Jesus modeled this for us. He was patient with us, wasn't he? He patiently waited for the Father's perfect timing. He had moments he could have burst out the S on his chest and showed everybody he's the Savior, but he didn't. He was humble. He refused to draw glory to himself, but he only deferred glory to God. And he always reflected it back to God and praised God for all that was going on. And he was selfless and that he went to the cross and died a martyr's death for you and I. And what he says is, will you be patient with me? Will you keep your heart humble? And will you serve others by faith for the kingdom of heaven? Will you remember what's coming with the small taste you've received so far? Because that's what Jesus did that day. When they tried to turn this meal against him, he basically showed them, I'm going to throw a meal one day. And even on the night he was betrayed, he would say, I will not drink this cup and I will not eat this bread again with you until we what? Until we celebrate that feast together in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is good and he can be trusted. Question for each one of us is, who are you in the story? Are you someone who's never realized you've been invited to the feast? Would love to have a conversation with you. Around this room are four tables in the corners. You can see the lamps are lit and our elders are going to those tables right now to stand there to pray with anybody who'd like to be prayed with. If you'd like to know what it means to be invited to the feast and how you have to die to receive that, die to self, we'd love to have that conversation with you. We could have it this morning and we could have it later this week. Some of us, we need to repent this morning and come to a realization that we have made Jesus secondary and he's so far down the list. And we need to replace him in the center on the throne of all things and let everything else be secondary to him. And for others, your relationship right now is with Jesus and it's peaceful. And you're trusting him by faith and living to honor him each and every day. Then go out and knock on your neighbor's door. Go into the byways and the alleys and the highways and invite people who have never been invited before and say, I'd like to tell you about my king and the feast he's about to throw for you. That's what we get to do. And I'll just ask you one question this morning. Is he worth it? We get to decide that today. If you'd like to make a decision while we sing, you can go to any one of these tables. If you'd like to wait till after the service is over, we'll hang around to meet with you and talk to you. We are here to help you walk your walk of faith because we believe Jesus is worth it. Let's stand together. 
Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.